0: This week on the show, we look at benchmarks from Dragonfly BSD versus FreeBSD versus Linux on a Ryzen 7, Uh, the JFK Presidential Library has chosen TrueNAS for the digital archives they have, Uh, FreeBSD 12.1 Beta is available for people to test, we have a listing of cool but obscure X11 tools for you, a VBSD Contrip report, updates from Project Trident, and a couple of new Unix artifacts hinted in this week's episode of BSD Now. (laughs) ESD Now episode 318, The True NAS Library, recorded for the 2nd of October 2019. Hello, I'm your host, Benedict Kreuschling. And I'm Helen Jude. Yeah, as always, and we have a very nice show prepared for you today. Uh, starting with headlines, uh, a little bit from the uh, performance benchmarking area. Uh, we have an article about Dragonfly BSD 5.6 versus FreeBSD 12 versus Linux on the Ryzen 7 3700X. Yep. So the 3700X uh, versus,
1: I guess the other one was... Uh... Ah, Ubuntu 19.04 and OpenSUSE Tumbleweed. Ah, yes. Mm -hmm. So this machine is at... It doesn't say how many gigahertz handily. Anyway, looking at the tests to begin with, in the Go benchmark, uh, numbers vary
0: quite a lot. Oh, strongly, yeah.
1: And that doesn't seem to make very much sense. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so less is better here uh, in these graphs. So
1: Mm -hmm. we're showing FreeBSD being much worse uh, at this particular Go benchmark, but doesn't really explain why. I'm sure there's some reasonable explanation and that
0: FreeBSD should be doing much better than that. Oh yeah, for sure. Someone should look into that.
1: Yeah, so then when you look at the vanilla uh, Go JSON benchmark, you see much more reasonable numbers where FreeBSD is uh, right in the the grouping with uh, the two different Linux releases, and you see uh, FreeBSD twelve with Clang is uh, slightly faster than with GCC nine.
0: Ah, yes, mm-hmm. that makes uh, it a bit look more better in this regard, or at least in this benchmark. Uh, Benchmarks always uh, look in certain areas uh, that other benchmarks might not look. So there's different uh, numbers and datas. uh, And at least it gives you an overview. Although
1: with some of these, if you're just benchmarking Go and it's not depending on any other thing, you would expect all the results to be the same. And seeing wildly different numbers suggests there's more going on there than it seems. And one would uh, want to know more. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with the Go build benchmark, but for some reason they ran the version, the Dragonfly one, 15 times and it has a, looks like a very large uh,
0: standard error. Is there some caching involved here in the building or?
1: I don't think it's that. It's just, I'm guessing they ran extra runs of the test because they uh, were seeing very large variance in the numbers. And so that probably warrants further investigation. Um, but looking at their Java test, uh, this is more like what you would expect with all of them within a very tight range, although Dragonfly seems to be a little slower there, and I'm guessing there's some reasonable explanation for that. I'm guessing the answer is not. The dragonfly is, in fact slower. Um, and so, again, you know all benchmarks need to be taken with a grain of salt. Yeah. Looking at uh, using John the Ripper's uh, blowfish benchmark. We see that the fastest was, in fact, FreeBSD12, beating out even Ubuntu 19.04 by half a percent or so. And then Dragonfly and FreeBSD12 with GCC9 and uh, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed all have almost exactly the same number. If you were to compare these, I'm guessing your answer would be that uh, what you were actually benchmarking here was not Dragonfly versus FreeBSD versus OpenSUSE. Uh, but GCC 9 versus Clang.
0: And again, we have a Dragonfly, 15 runs versus 3 on the others. So not sure what's happening there.
1: Uh, but the numbers coming up very tight there between Dragonfly and FreeBSD with GCC 9 and then uh, Linux uh, very much suggests that maybe all three of those are using the same version of GCC, whereas the other two that have a wildly different number are using two different uh, Clang. Or maybe just Ubuntu, uh, I don't know, I don't think Ubuntu uses Clang, but maybe. Or it's just a different version of GCC that happens to perform differently at that. Then looking at the H265 benchmark, again, you would expect to see um, demonstrably similar results between these. And again, um, in this one, FreeBSD comes out uh, slightly ahead with Clang, uh, doing slightly better than the GCC version. And uh, in that case, FreeBSD doing better in all of those benchmarks. Yep. Then looking at Rust, being a nice low-level language or whatever, time to complete a serial-slash-parallel Mandelbrot. Um, again, all of the tests uh, come out with almost exactly the same number because you're benchmarking just the processor, and you would expect... And Basically, if you saw one of these having a wildly different number, you would know that you were benchmarking something other than what you thought you were benchmarking. You weren't actually benchmarking Rust. You were benchmarking something else that was uh, introducing this difference somewhere. Sure, yep. Uh, So looking at pgbench transactions per second, uh, FreeBSD doing much worse in this particular benchmark. Hard to say whether that's... Ah, they say even in the comments here, they're noting that they were basically benchmarking ZFS versus other file systems. And it turns out the extra guarantees and so on that ZFS adds do come at a cost. uh, And that, especially without the proper tuning, you can uh, really nerf your results. I'm guessing uh, with this being Postgres... I don't, uh, I guess it's a read only benchmark, so the write stuff isn't as bad. Actually, in a read only benchmark, ZFS shouldn't really be any slower. So now I'm more interested in what the difference there might have been. Mm. But you know, if you don't configure ZFS with the right record size and so on, and stuff and for a Postgres, you can get much, much worse results. Yeah. Uh, looking at the read write test, Tumbleweed, the Zeus was way down there with its uh, XFS and Butterfest setup. Uh whereas FreeBSD was nice and solid, uh, but Dragonfly was faster and the Ubuntu with EXT4 uh being the strongest. But uh again, you can see there are different compile options and some other differences in there as well. That might help there, yeah. And again, some ZFS tuning for Postgres might have made a big difference there. So you weren't necessarily benchmarking the OS. Um you know, for this test, it might make more sense to actually be using. Uh, a memory-backed file system, uh, so that you don't end up, you know, rather than benchmarking FreeBSD with Postgres, you're benchmarking ZFS versus Hammer versus so on. And with there being so many variances there, it's very hard to get repeatable results. Whereas maybe with a, a memory-backed file system, you would eliminate some of that variance. Sure. Yeah. And then lastly, the just geometric mean of all test results is.
0: Mm. <laughs> Not really a meaningful number. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't help you decide which is the better one.
1: But it gives you uh, a basic rundown of what it looks like. And that uh, FreeBSD and Dragonfly, uh, considering their much, much, much smaller number of developers, especially developers focused on AMD, uh, we're doing a very good job of uh, keeping up with Linux.
0: That's still uh, a nice way of looking at uh, some numbers and making sure uh, they. Work, but you should definitely take this with a grain of salt and look into more details how they were performed and um, what the numbers tell you or don't tell you. Okay, next up we have a story from the iX Systems blog uh, that John F. Kennedy a Residential Library has chosen iX Systems TrueNAS to preserve the precious digital archives. So that's interesting news uh, in from from the industry basically, uh, and, and in a different use case that you normally don't get. Uh, so they write that Ix Systems is honored to have the TrueNAS M Series Unified Storage selected to store, serve, and protect the entire digital archive of the John F. Kennedy Library Foundation. This is in support of the collection at the John F. Kennedy Presidential Library and Museum, uh, the JFK Library for short. Over the next several years, the foundation hopes to grow the digital collection from hundreds of terabytes today to cover more than uh, more of the archives at the Kennedy Library. Overall, there is a total of 25 million documents, audio recordings, photos, and videos once the project is complete. Uh, Having first deployed the TrueNAS M50-HHA, that's probably high availability, early in 2019, the JFK library has now completed the migration of its existing digital collection and is now in the process of digitizing much of the rest of its vast collection. Not only is the catalog of material vast, it is also diverse, with files being copied to the storage system from a variety of sources in numerous file types. Uh, To achieve this ambitious goal, the library required a high-end NAS system capable of sharing with a variety of systems throughout the digitization process. The digital library or the archive will be served from the TrueNAS M50 and made available to both in-person and online visitors. So whenever you click uh, on some info panel, I guess, uh, you will be served by FreeNAS. And I guess ZFS in the background. I'm fairly sure of that. Um, With precious material information comes robust demands. The highly available TrueNAS M-Series has multiple layers of protection to help keep data safe, including data scrubs, checksums, unlimited snapshots, replication, and more. TrueNAS is also inherently scalable with data shares only limited by the number of drives connected to the pool. Perfect for archival storage, the deployed TrueNAS M50 will grow with the library's content, easily expanding its storage capacity over time as needed. Supporting a variety of protocols, multi-petabyte scalability in a single share, and anytime uninterrupted capacity expansion, the TrueNAS M series ticked all the right boxes. Yeah, that's great. Um, So this is specifically the use case for ZFS and long-time archival storage that is read mostly because no one is going to change these files anymore. But people in future generations still want to be able to access them. And ZFS is able to not only make sure that the current data is safe, but also the data on the on um, on the on the archive tapes, basically.
1: Being able to do a ZFS scrub to make sure that all the data you have is not bit routing is really important when you're going to store this data for 100 years or more.
0: And you remember the examples that iX Systems always had on their website, where there's just a single bit changing in an image file that would completely screw up the image.
1: Don't want that to happen to the only copy of some important images. Yeah. Luckily, the advantage of digitization is that we can have many copies of these. But being able to verify that the original copies do not become corrupted is
0: very important. Yeah, so that's definitely a good use case uh, for this kind of thing. So next time we we visit that library, we might as well look out. Maybe we'll see somewhere uh, in a corner of a screen somewhere that there's a surf by TrueNAS sign or something. Time for the news roundup this week. Uh, We have the FreeBSD 12.1 beta available already, so that's very early in the process of development, but... They are given to people to test it early and find bugs. Well,
1: it's it's not early in the development because basically all the features that are going to be in 12.1 are there. Um, But yes, uh, now it's time to test and find problems, get them fixed before we cut the final release in uh, about a month.
0: Yeah, it's happening quickly and the more errors we find, if any, uh, the better for the final release of 12.1.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's basically it's been about a year since 12.0, uh so it will be really good to get this out, update out there. Uh and it has many security and bug fixes, uh and um one other change is that on all the architectures that still use GCC 4.2, uh we've disabled the warnings as errors uh compiler flag because GCC 4.2 is so old that it uh complains about a bunch of actually perfectly valid code. Uh and rather than constantly making little changes to unconfuse gcc4.2 we will just uh, stop making those changes be breaking changes or breaking errors um but other big change is the import of bare ssl into the base system uh, to provide a lightweight tls implementation for the new verified bootloader that uh, juniper is working on
0: oh yes yeah i remember those uh, discussions which kind of ssl library we were going to get There's
1: also, uh, incorporates all the uh, security advisors that have come out since 12.0 and all the errata notices and other fixes uh, since then.
0: Ah, Yes, yeah. So everything that's happening on on head and is stable enough will be ported uh, back through a process called MFC and uh, that is then uh, available in the 12.1 release eventually. So yeah, help test uh, if you have some time uh, and report any issues that you find or... uh, Any drivers not working anymore, but um, definitely uh, give us some feedback about this. All right. Our next item here is called Cool but Obscure X11 Tools. More suggestions in the source link uh, here uh, on our show notes, of course. And... uh, This is a small collection of tools for the X-Windows system. For cool terminal tools, uh, see Christoph Kovac's Cool but Obscure Unix tools. That's also linked from the article. Uh, All applications have been tested on FreeBSD, but should run on other Unix-like operating systems as well. Uh, This page is still a work in progress. So there's a whole bunch of programs and, of course, screenshots of each of them uh, that you can find on LX11. Yeah,
1: Like uh, AS Clock, which provides a little clock, and calendar. Uh, Free42 is a very nice uh, scientific calculator.
0: Oh yes, the HP42S scientific calculator.
1: FSV2 is a 3D file system visualizer, uh, like the FSN that was in uh, SGI IREX. Basically visualizes where your space is going, so you'll see the files that are taking up most of your space will appear as big blocks and the tiny files will be tiny and so on. Uh, Micropolis, uh, which is a Open source version of SimCity. The sun clock, which is super useful, uh, basically shows a world map and shows where the sun is right now. So you can easily tell, you know, might the people I want to talk to in Europe be awake right now, or would it be too late and it would be, you know, rude to ping them right now?
0: (laughs) Yeah, some of them are useful. Some of them are more historical, like the ones for the punch cards. X026 is a
1: key punch emulator to simulate an IBM 026, perfect for writing Fortran code uh, on Hollerith punch cards and uh, getting a clear picture of how laborious data input was back then. If you want to play with a punch card.
0: Or a little further down, uh, if you miss uh, Pac-Man, there is XChomp, which is a clone of the famous arcade game Pac-Man for X. Uh, yeah, it's just another package install away. Or x abacus if you want to use an actual abacus. Yeah, well, all these calculators and computers are so complicated.
1: <laughs> x ASCII just provides a an ASCII uh, code table, so you know if you need to know that the uh, ASCII code for uppercase L is seventy six. Super
0: helpful. Or if you are wanna playing a round of Galaga, there's x Galaga. Uh, yeah shoot them up (laughs) x invaders as well or what can come in handy x kill in case a a window is frozen and you can't kill it anymore there's x kill which gives you a kill cursor and then uh, just snap that window and it will disappear (laughs) here you go
1: x leonard is a modification on the old arcade game x bill an evil and unpopular computer hacker named Leonard tries to install his malicious init system on various BSD and Linux systems. <laughs> uh, like in the x program, the player has to hit him and restore the infected systems. <laughs>
0: wow, this is. Oh, that, that hits. Yeah. <laughs> or once the holiday season has started, there's X-Snow. Let it snow on your desktop.
1: Or uh, X-Meijong. Ooh, X-Man, if you want to have your man pages. In X instead of in your terminal. Not sure why you would care, but
0: oh yeah. Speaking of terminals, there's also X uh, Term, of course.
1: Yeah, well, I'm I'm sure most people are, have have seen that one before. <laughs> yeah. um, X Post-it lets you just stick Post-it notes
0: on your screen. I could use that some days with no passwords on them, of course. Yeah, there's good find in there. Yeah, <laughs> very nice, interesting tools.
1: Uh, so next we have a trip report from VBSDcon. Oh yes, and uh, this one's from uh, Michael Dexter. So the fourth biennial um, VBSDCon was held in Reston, Virginia, on September 5th through the 7th, and attracted attendees and presenters from not only the Washington D.C. area but also Canada, Germany, Kenya, and beyond. While MeetBSD caters to the Silicon Valley BSD enthusiasts on the even years, VBSDCon caters to East Coast and D.C. area enthusiasts on the odd-numbered years. Uh, VeriSign was, a, again, the key sponsor of VBSDCon, um, but this year entrusted the, the organization to uh, a team led by Dan Langell and... Um, uh, Mark, uh, what's his name, Felder? Yes, Mark Felder. Thank you. Um, and you know, Dan, you probably know as the uh, lead BSDCon organizer. Uh, it worked out very well. Uh, VBSD kicked off with a hackathon on the Thursday night where people worked on projects and um, slides are just caught up with each other and managed their jet lag with a combination of conversations and visit to many local food options. Then the talks kicked off with uh, Paul Vixie's timely in-depth analysis of DNS over HTTPS and the risks that it presents, and then was followed by John Baldwin's tour of the in-kernel TLS work done by Netflix. Um, so while both of those talks were also at EuroBSDCon, they were both quite different when presented at Euro. The... TLS One at Euro was uh, presented by Hans-Peter Seleski and Drew Gallatin, um, and was more focused on Mellanox and some of the the other side of the work. So there's that. Uh, And then, like I mentioned um, in last week's episode, uh, Paul Vixie's talk, um, while it was based on the same slide deck, some of the stuff was in a different order, and uh, he covered quite a bit of different material between the two talks. So... I highly recommend that you watch both versions since there's actually not that much overlap.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is good. They're just two weeks away from each other. Yes,
1: and then uh, Dave Fullard gave his talk transitioning from FreeNAS to FreeBSD, uh, which tells an interesting story of um, one of the paths that we use to get new FreeBSD users is by converting uh, people who are just using FreeNAS kind of casually and making them into more hardcore power users and getting them over into vanilla FreeBSD and letting them tinker with things and learn more. Uh, and then Brian Callahan also hosted his uh, parallel tutorial, running uh, or learning to do OpenBSD through its porting system. Then after lunch, Sean Webb gave his state of the hardened union about hardened BSD, and then Benedict uh, gave his talk on how his university has replaced Oracle Database with FreeBSD ZFS and Postgres. Uh, because that's what people are more likely to see out in industry and, you know, to get out from under the thumb of Oracle.
0: <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then uh,
1: wrapping up the day, Michael Lucas gave his 20 years in jail. Uh, FreeBSD Jails then and now went to go with his new released, uh, newly released FreeBSD Mastery Jails book. Then Friday night, people got to hang out uh, and do stuff. On the third day of VBSDCon, I uh, started with Colin Percival's talk 23 years of software side channel attacks. Highly recommend that. While it might sound like it'll be over your head, Colin did a very good job of explaining it. Well, still having the technical detail, but making it understandable to those who are not that well versed in that particular area. Then I did my talk, uh, explain to me like I'm five, how ZFS caching works. Then Michael Dexter did his ZFS performance results across six operating systems. Uh, comparing the performance of OpenZFS on TrueOS, FreeNAS, CentOS, Debian, NetBSD, uh, OmniOS, uh, and MacOS, and Windows. Then after lunch, Connor beh gave his talk about uh, how they use FreeBSD at work, including network storage infrastructure and networking with PFSense. So basically PFSense and FreeNAS and how those uh, enable their business. And then... Kurt Moschek gave his Heartfelt Talk, Care and Feeding of Open BSD Porters. And then finally, uh, Aaron Poffenberger gave his Road Warrior Disaster Recovery, How to Have Secure, Synchronized, and Backed-Up Laptop, so that when you're on the road, bad things don't happen.
0: (laughs) That was a good one.
1: And then we wrapped up uh, with a BSD can-inspired auction, uh, raising money for
0: the local Shriners Hospital. Yep, that was also a nice gesture from the conference. All right, yeah. That was very nice as a trip report. Uh, next up, uh, we have a bit of an update from the Project Trident. Uh, so there is their seventh update to the 12th branch, I would say, uh, available now. And they have, of course, a full list of package updates. Um, they have 130 new packages, 72 deleted packages, and 865 updated ones. So that's quite a list. Uh, But do they have other updates despite uh, the number of ports and packages?
1: Basically updating to a newer version of 12 stable and then the packages. Okay, yeah. So I think a semi-automated snapshot build.
0: Yeah, uh, so people can upgrade to that one. And uh, yeah, if there's more in the future, we'll also cover that. If there's some major release happening or they will have some functionality added to it. Uh, next up, we have an uh, interesting things for the historians among us. Uh, a couple new Unix artifacts over at the TUHS, which is the Historical Unix Society. Ah, uh, yes, the Unix Heritage Society. Heritage, right? Um, that kind of in, also connects a little bit to uh, Eurobisticon because Warner Losh's talk also had uh, reference to that and. Uh, Yes, that,
1: uh, this is basically the archive where a lot of that information came from for Warner's Talks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, Warren... Uh, not Warner. Warren Tume, uh, who is... Uh, one of the curators over at Twos has posted, uh, he says, I fear we've drifted a bit here and the signal-to-noise ratio is dropping a bit with regard to the actual history of Unix. So can we please have no more on the relative merits of version control systems or alternative text processing systems? <laughs> so I'd like to try to distract you by saying this. I'm sitting on two artifacts that have been recently given to me uh, by two large organizations of great significance to Unix history who want me to keep mum about them and they are going to make announcements about them soon, for some definition of soon. Uh, and I am slowly going crazy as I wait for them to be officially
0: released. So now you have a new topic to talk about. <laughs> well, that's a teaser, indeed. Uh, if there is an actual uh, announcement of some sorts, we'll definitely be behind it in covering that. Uh, but for now, it's speculation.
1: Uh, looking at some, you know, a number of people saying, you know. Uh, We wish you had more stuff from the V0 through V4 eras, but we don't know that much of that might even, we don't know how much of that even still exists. So uh, our hopes there are not necessarily that
0: high. Yeah, but some of the major companies, uh, they mentioned that they could still be sitting on some old hardware they want to get rid of. Uh,
1: In general, the hardware is not necessarily that interesting. However, uh, they do note some stuff, you know, old version of Trough, uh, we still have some source files. They source file names in the deleted directory entries of the V6 distribution, <laughs> because you know the media was ne- was uh, reused and so on. They found the names of deleted files, but not the content and so on.
0: Yeah, so uh, preserving the Unix history, uh, we covered this in our last episode a bit. Is good for future generations to see, you know, how we got here and why things they are evolved in the same way they are, or why are tools behaving a certain way. Okay, we are jumping right into the beastie bits now. First item we have here is NetBSD machines at Open Source Conference 2019 in Hiroshima. Uh, That's always interesting because uh, Japan and NetBSD means interesting uh, machines you don't normally see unless you're from that area. And I'm fairly sure there will be plenty of pictures. Yes, there are a couple of uh, Twitter posts.
1: Yep, you can see the picture of the little booth here. They haven't... uh... XM6i, and a bunch of all kinds of special machines going on here. Oh, yes. And they have uh, lots of stickers and stuff they were giving away as well. Oh, nice. Uh, They had an Omron Luna uh, 68K with a NetBSD PCM audio device. They have a Twitter stream running on a Sharp X68030 using the X68K Support of NetBSD eight or nine even. XM6I team has a donation request for an MC68060 uh, RC75 revision five CPU for support of the 68060. I have a Luna68K emulation uh, running on NetVSD on AMD64. It's cool. An XM8 NEC PC8801 emulator and a PC6001 VX. Emulator, uh NetBSD running on the Pinebook uh with desktop and camera and everything. So some modern hardware mixed in there as well.
0: Yeah, it's not just uh, historic uh, parts.
1: Oh, here we go. Uh OMX player on NetBSD uh EARM V7HF on a Raspberry Pi 3 with a HD Pico laser projector. Ooh. I missed missed the Raspberry Pi part of that at first and thought they somehow were running NetBSD on the projector and got really (laughs) (laughs) excited.
0: Of course it runs NetBSD. (laughs) That would be awesome.
1: But they have a a ton of different pictures there. So if you're interested in some of this old rare hardware, definitely worth checking out.
0: Uh, Then we have some adoption news. Uh, Hyperbola, a GNU Linux OS, is using OpenBSD's Xenocara. Uh, so they have an announcement on their website at hyperbola.info. So they write that as Xenocara follows the same goals than our own packaging guidelines and stability and security concerns, uh, they have decided to remove x.org and use Xenocara as their default provider of display servers for, or display server for the X Windows system, uh, which means that the Milky Way version 0.2 will be the last version supporting x.0. And they write about Xenocara that it provides a framework to host OpenBSD modifications and to automate the build of the module XOR components, including the third-party packages and some software maintained by OpenBSD developers. Ah, so this is uh, not only available on OpenBSD alone anymore.
1: Yeah, I was wondering uh, how much work it might be to actually get Xenocara running on another OS, especially uh, when that other OS is Linux-based rather than uh, a BSD, because it would be a little bit further apart. But yeah, uh, so if you're not familiar, uh, Xenocara is basically a customized uh, X server that utilizes a dedicated uh, underscore X11 user by default to drop privileges and perform privilege separation in accordance with OMBSD's least uh, privilege policy. And it includes several other projects like CWM, their stacking window manager for X.
0: Oh, great. That's good news. And just quick
1: looking at their to-do list uh, for migrating to Xenocara.
0: Yeah, what's left to do and uh, help wanted. <laughs> um, it looks like it's auto-generated. Ah, so they have a bit of uh, work to be to be gone. I'm
1: um, not sure. It looks like most of it is marked as complete. Oh,
0: okay. Well, then maybe other Linux distributions uh, might follow that example. Who knows? Yeah, it would be interesting
1: to see if there ends up being a Zynq portable version.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, why not? I mean, many of the Linux folks have uh, looked closer to uh, Wayland now. But who knows? Maybe someone are still on X11. Uh,
1: so next up, uh, if you're interested uh, in a job, uh, Cisco Telos's, um security intelligence team is hiring a FreeBSD engineer. So if you uh, receive general instructions for new uh, responsibilities from your supervisor can maintain, troubleshoot, deploy, and monitor networks and servers and systems. Uh, If you can recommend and plan future expansion and have at least three years of Unix or BSD system and experience, they prefer a bachelor's degree, but not required, and the ability to troubleshoot systems and networks, uh, then you should apply. They're looking for people with FreeBSD and VMware experience, Uh, NetApp experience is a big plus, Uh, ability to write and debug Perl and shell scripts, and familiarity with common protocols like DNS, LDAP, DHCP, ActiveMQ, MySQL, Apache, etc. And of course, strong interpersonal and communication skills, especially because I think part of the team is remote for this work. Mm-hmm. But um, we know some other people on those the, the Cisco Talos team, so uh, you will be part of a very good team. So if you're interested, you should uh, follow the
0: link there and you can apply. You never know uh, where you end up and what kind of interesting projects you're involved. Okay, uh, then we have uh, something on GitHub here. Uh, A collection of pure POSIX SH or shell alternatives to external processes.
1: Yes, so instead of forking out to uh, some other process, uh, ways of doing it in pure shell, which is always
0: much, much faster. So examples here. So it's basically a book or like a Bible because they have so much in there. Uh, The goal of this book is to document commonly known and lesser known methods of doing various tasks using only built-in POSIX shell features. Using the snippets from this Bible can help remove unneeded dependencies from scripts and in most cases make them faster. Uh, They came across these tips and discovered a few while developing uh, KISS Linux.
1: Really? It's uh, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. An
0: acronym. <laughs> yeah, and other small projects. Um, so the snippets below there are all linted using shell check. Excellent. Um, and if, we, if someone sees something incorrectly described, buggy or outright wrong, then they can open a pull request or an issue and uh, get that fixed. Oh, wow, this is a really big book. I guess I should take a look at that closer for my uh, shell class.
1: Yeah, so they have a bunch of string ones like just strip a pattern from the end of a string uh, and then if you click on it it shows you how to do that. Oh yeah, there's
0: plenty of good tools in there.
1: They have examples like a function called split that allows you to split things based on whatever field you prefer. Um, So you basically provide it uh, the first variable or the first argument to your function is some string and the second argument is how you want to split it and you get back it split up based on those uh split points, so if you call split apples, comma, oranges, comma pears, comma grapes, and the second parameter is comma, you get back apples, oranges, pears, and grapes as separate
0: lines. Yeah, this is a nice library to your already existing uh tools collection in the shell area. I will definitely add this to my uh lecture slides about the shell scripting.
1: yeah, because you know. Uh, forking out to something like cut just to uh, split stuff up based on a comma or something is excessive, uh, and this will be much faster to do if you can do it all without using any external programs. And as I mentioned, it makes your shell script more portable since you know the cut command could be slightly different across a couple different OSs, whereas um, the stuff that's built into the shell will be the same. You know, if you if you're only using the POSIX components of the shell, then they're by definition, it's supposed to be exactly the same across every OS.
0: Yeah, this is this is really nice. This is a very handy collection. Uh, next up, we have something here from Dragonfly BSD. Uh, DeSynth, you're building it over at the Dragonfly BSD Digest. So we mentioned DeSynth in previous episodes, but here uh, they write that the build world cycle now includes DeSynth. Uh your build world will take a bit longer, but now you can immediately bulk build packages if using binaries isn't right for you. So they made that part of the build world process.
1: Right. So if you're not
0: familiar, dSynth
1: is a rewrite of Synth uh, to basically provide um, bulk building of D ports, but written in C, whereas the original Synth was written in Ada.
0: Uh, yeah, that's a bit... Uh, uh, I wouldn't say obscure, but it's not... Uh, a very common language nowadays
1: right and I think if it's just this way it can be built bundled into the dragonfly based system uh, so basically it's dragonfly's alternative to Porere although it's not it, it's not the same as Pore it's more like port upgrade or something but it's designed to allow you to update your system uh, whereas Pore is kind of a building packages that you use on other computers and usually not necessarily on the system you're actually doing the building on whereas Decent is
0: designed for updating the computer you're running it on. Sure, yeah. Very cool. Uh, And last but not least, we have Percy Ludgate, the missing link between Babbage's machine and everything else. So uh, Percy Ludgate
1: is the first person known to have followed in Charles Babbage's footsteps. Many years ago, I had stumbled across a reference to his work. I published an account of my attempt to find out about him uh, and had reprinted in my book *The Origins of Digital Computers*, selected papers, the one detailed published account of his analytical machine that I had found that he had written. I had done a little further investigation thereafter until I was contacted uh, by Dr. Brian Coughlin from Trinity College almost three years ago. Since then, I have had a minor or been a minor contributor to the work of Brian and his team. And I'm greatly impressed with the amount of further information they have found about Liddite, uh, sorry, Lidditch and his family. Brian gave a fascinating summary account of the team's research in a recent uh, West Cork History Festival. An MP4 video of his presentation, as well as other relevant documents, can be found at this link. As well as a PDF of his PowerPoint presentation, uh, included here. Uh, the details Uh, All the information they have found about Ludgate and his family and less numerous outstanding queries need to say, help in answering any
0: of these queries would be very welcome. I see. You never know what uh, missing links we find.
1: Yeah, it turns out that uh, history is worth preserving and we really uh, didn't necessarily do a very good job of it in the past could be because things are evolving quickly. It just goes to show the importance of projects like archive.org to keep copies of all this old stuff. Because uh, right now is about the time where all your old stuff from the 90s and the 2000s uh, that you don't really want anymore and is taking up space in your basement you'd like to get rid of. Well, if we can, uh, if you can digitize it or send it away and have it digitized uh, and get it part of that Internet Archive, there will be a copy uh, after you throw out you know, the thing that's clogging up all the space in your basement.
0: (laughs) Yeah, or as Indiana Jones would say, that belongs in a museum. Time for feedback and questions this week. Uh, Always interesting to fill this section with feedback and questions, so send any questions you have to feedback at bsdnow.tv. And this time, someone called Bruce uh, did something right. So... Now, Bruce not only has a question, but in the meantime, he also found a solution and didn't keep the solution to himself, but he sent also a follow-up with the solution here, or at least an update, uh, so that we also can see uh, what the solution was or how he got this uh, running. Uh, But first, the original question. Uh, Down the expect rabbit hole, it's called... Bruce writes, Hi, I have heard good things about expect uh, mentioned on BSD now in a previous episode. Expect checks any command for a quote expected result unquote to be used in shell scripts to make them uh, the logic more useful. I'm trying to install the expect package on FreeBSD 11.2 and run an example like user local bin uh, expect underscore auto expect. Uh, the expect package installed fine, but it expects expected TCL. This was not a, listing dep- a listed dependency, but was apparent when you looked at the example scripts. So here's an example for the expect auto expect.
1: So yeah, when it actually looks at the source code for the expect auto expect tool, it's a shell script that just invokes TCL uh, shell, and then the rest of the code in the file is in TCL. So he says, uh, doing a package search TCL gives many results. Um, I did a package install TCL 8.7, uh, but it has no man page. <laughs> I did a package install tcl manual dash twenty thirteen ten oh one. You could not find the manual or man page. It uh, does not have a ports maintainer, and I would consider becoming a doc contributor if I could find the documentation. I feel like Alice in FreeBSD Wonderland.
0: <laughs> yeah, if we have any suggestions to uh, how to solve that, and. As I mentioned, he uh, continued his search while we uh, recorded this or uh, before we could record it. So he has an update to his um, earlier question. Uh, and his update goes Update, tried some command on another server and it required TCL, the tool command language, as a dependency. I'm able to use expect without TCL.
1: Yeah, so I'm guessing on the other system, TCL 8.6 might have already been installed. And that's the only reason why it wasn't installed as part of expect. Hard to say. Uh, anyway, glad you got it working, uh, and let us if anybody else runs into problems with this, let us know, and we can maybe chase up the ports people and see what it is uh, we need to do to get it fixed. Uh,
0: yeah, or if you have any other news about TCL, we don't hear too much about that uh, command language nowadays. Uh, if you're a ninja or a guru in that, uh, maybe you have an, a story about that for us, or a blog post. Uh, feedback at bsdnauto.tv is your address. Uh, so thanks for that next up is david with a netgraph answer even oh wow uh david writes hi guys regarding the usage of netgraph with jails uh there is a very nice video from devin Teske at MeetBSD 2016 oh yes uh, i was there and remember it i should have remembered that and provided that link uh a
1: couple of weeks ago when we had the uh the question come in but, you know, I've
0: been to so many conferences, I can't remember what was where. <laughs> <laughs> and it shows that we have uh, active listeners who are connecting in the dots for us in case we don't do that. Yes.
1: Um, and I think that video should be up in the papers.freebase.org site
0: as well. Uh, even better, that connects all the, the talks to each other in, in one place.
1: I have to uh, look at the paper site a little bit more. It seems
0: the... Uh, the menu has gotten a bit wonky after the last update to Hugo. Yeah, a bit of uh, uh, facelifting there. But the talks are there, uh, and it's just the presentation that needs a bit of uh, <laughs> a polishing. So yeah, David, thank you for that. Uh, that completes this uh, question and answer now. Uh, very nice. And uh, last this week is Mason with Beep's question mark. Ah, I see where this is going. This is our, qu- our question we put out to people
1: yes this is part
0: of our ongoing quest to solve the beeping from your laptop Mm -hmm. so mason writes i'm curious how beeping is handled in freebsd on my thinkpad t420 running freebsd 12 when i wake from sleep or when something beeps on the console or inside x the beep is almost painfully loud In X, the X set command seems not to work as advertised, and this probably wouldn't help with the ACPI events in any case. Uh, If I set current.vt.enable underscore bell equals zero, then that suppresses the bell in X, but not when I sleep or wake. The laptop not Mason himself. Um, (laughs) Setting hw-syscons.bell seems not to be relevant when I'm running VT, but I don't want to suppress it, I just want to make it quieter. Thanks in advance. And yeah, That's our question here.
1: Yes, I'd be interested in the answer to this as well uh, because Lenovo X220 that I strapped to my exercise bike makes that terrible beep when you wake it up from sleep. So, you know, I open it up and it powers up and then suddenly it's just like, beep! (laughs) Like, Jesus Christ!
0: (laughs) (laughs) You would think that the engineers who built this didn't, like, found this also a bit loud when they prototyped this
1: machine? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's something kind of specific to FreeBSD or what. Uh, I've not tried it uh, running anything other than FreeBSD on my laptop. But um, yes. So if you know how to make the beep less ear splitting, uh, that would be great. Uh, and please write into feedback at bsdnow.tv and tell us all about it. Because we have at least like six or eight people who've written in uh, and are. Dying for the answer here. Yeah. I remember, I, was, I think it was at EuroBSDCon, somebody actually commented about our question about it because I noted that at VBSDCon, uh, you know, with the one just after lunch, everybody came back to their laptops and opened them up, and you just hear like, beep, 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 beep. It's like, <laughs> ah! <laughs> you, are, you too! <laughs> if you're unsuspending your laptop during someone's talk, you really don't want a loud beep going off. Yeah. That's why my <laughs> new, it's not the only reason, but my Lenovo, my X270 has the hardware mute basically almost always on because I generally don't ever want sound coming out of my laptop.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not what you want to have.
1: That's not the right solution here. You do want the beep to work, you just want it to be pleasant and mild instead of sharp and stabby.
0: <laughs> In the ears, yeah. Okay, yeah. With that note, uh, we end this week's episode. Hope you liked it. Uh, Give us feedback on Twitter as well. We have a Twitter channel or Twitter account, of course, or directly via email to feedback at bsdnow.tv.
1: Yes, email is best because then we get to keep it and remember to look at it.
0: All right, see you next time.